0: hey hey
1: there he is
0: how's it going man can you hear me all right
1: i can hear you just fine can you hear me
0: yeah man how you doing
1: doing great your hair is getting long
0: yeah man i'm growing it out a little bit you like it
1: i do it's turning into a a proper proper mix of curls up there
0: yeah man It's, it's coming through it's coming through how you been
1: Man, busy as about a, as I've pretty much ever been, so uh, no really? complaints whenever you're busy, that's for sure.
0: Absolutely, man. You're a busy guy. What have you been up
1: to? Uh, well, let's see. Um, where do I even begin? Um, I just recently got back from Costa Rica. We just produced 17 new pieces of content there, uh, all wow. of which center around a slew of different creepy crawlies, insects, arachnids, uh, reptiles, amphibians did a cool episode at a uh, macaw parrot sanctuary, which it's really pretty difficult to work with birds most of the time unless you're working with a specific research group that has the right permits and the right ability to interact because you're not going to just go out there and randomly catch a bird. Um, so we did this whole medical procedure with this parrot that had to be uh, safely captured and then we had to do like a blood draw to determine if it's a male or a female. I didn't know that you'd couldn't tell the sex of a parrot unless you drew its blood. Um, And the thing you don't realize about macaws is they have these insanely huge beaks and they're powerful enough to actually bite off a human finger. So the process of catching a parrot and they're, they're pretty sizable um, was rather pretty nerve wracking. So um, it was a cool episode, very loud though. They're extremely squawky. uh, So that was a, a bit difficult on the ears, but other than that, it was, it was a great trip.
0: They're they're beautiful animals. My dad actually got married in Costa Rica a couple of years ago and we rented this house that kind of looked out over the water and every single morning these two macaws would just fly down right in front of the house down into the rainforest. It was it was awesome, man. That's Costa Rica is a cool place.
1: It is. It's it's kind of like become my home away from home at this place. I think I've filmed there I want to say upwards 10 or 11 times at this point and some of our most famous Content has come out of Costa Rica. So I definitely owe a lot to that country when it comes to helping to build my uh, wilderness career.
0: Yeah, man, you do a lot of traveling. Where where have you traveled the most and where would you say is the favorite places that you've been? Well,
1: will start with my favorite place. Most favorite place so far, I think has actually been Alaska. Um, Alaska was crazy cool. There's not as many animals there that we typically feature like the small creepy creatures it's all like bigger mammals and stuff like that but Alaska's just straight up epic i mean if you have, you have you ever been to alaska before
0: no i've always wanted to go it's on my bucket list
1: okay put it at the top priority for your bucket list the the thing that's cool about alaska is you know, here in the United States, when we see, like, the Rocky Mountains or the Grand Canyon or, you know, Mirror Woods up in the Pacific Northwest, and we're like, oh, cool, these features of the landscape are big. Dude, it's nothing like when you go to Alaska. The size of everything is, like, gargantuan. The rivers, the mountains, the trees, the highway systems with like no cars on them, um, so it's crazy. When you get to Alaska, it really feels like you're on another planet. So I've only been once. I definitely want to go back there again at some point. Um, and it's it's definitely a place you've got to check out if you can.
0: Yeah, dude, I'll have to do like a pranking expedition up there or something. Involve like nature into the prank somehow. I think that'd be I think that'd be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know, the, the one thing I will say about Alaska is um, the the people that I experienced strangely are not as friendly as some of the other places in the United States. So I only mention that because if you go up there and do some of your content, you might get some pretty interesting reactions out of the unsuspecting (laughs) people that will ultimately end up on camera, which could make for amazing prank videos. It
0: definitely could. That's hilarious. dude! It's funny because I think all the time back like to how we met at the YouTube convention, it was so funny. What was it probably three or four years ago now And um, for those of you who don't know, YouTube will do an event every year where they fly, you know, the top, you know, 100 or 200 creators out and we all stay in a big hotel and it's like a big group meeting. Um, So that's how me and Coyote met and you came up to me and you know, started talking about my prank videos and it actually turned out to be like a great thing because I didn't know anybody there. It was my first time. I don't know if it was your first time, but we just we just hit it off and started talking. Next thing you know, we're hanging out, shooting dice in the hotel room. <laughs> so
1: Dude, I, I, a, I've taken weird. that dice game everywhere with me. And like because of you, dice has become almost like an integral part of my existence. what I learned is that anytime you're anywhere, doesn't matter who you're with, you bust out a few pairs of dice or like I always carry like, well, the game that we play is called threes. Maybe we'll we'll get into that because I I now play that game many places ago, but I've incorporated dice into like everything that I do. And I know you can icebreaker any situation with dice. And I owe that to you.
0: (laughs) Thanks man, No, that, that's, uh, that's a good, I gotta start carrying dice more because I used to play all the time and I haven't been doing it as much lately. I, I always lose my dice, so I gotta get some more. It's, it's a fun game. For those of you who are wondering what threes is, to sum it up, and it's it's a lot easier to learn as you play, but you go six die, you roll um, and you try to get threes. So every time you roll, you remove the lowest number and the threes count as zero. That's the only catch. So every die, whether it's a six, a five, a four, two, or one, they all stand for uh, their actual numbers. So if you roll you know, uh, a bunch of different die, there's no threes, you would pull the lowest number, whether it's a two or one, and you only pull one each round. Um, but if you roll threes, threes are zero. And if you roll multiple threes, that's the only time you pull multiple dice. So basically, you have to go through the die and see what the lowest number is that you can get. So every once in a while, you get a zero in there. <laughs> oh
1: man, It's so much fun. And it's such an easy game to learn. And you can incorporate it into like, any setting. Dude, I can't even tell you how many life of the party moments I have fostered from your introduction of threes to me. So. <laughs> I'll forever be grateful. Dude,
0: I got to brand it. I got to brand it and sell it somehow.
1: Dude, you really, you really do. I mean, I don't know how you can brand a game that surrounds just dice, but I think it's just a matter of putting the right label on it and the right name and right. selling it as such. I mean, <laughs> considering the things that people sell these days and can build massive brands off of, I wouldn't be surprised if you can't find a way to pull it off.
0: Right. So one of the things, well, I would say the thing that you're most known for is getting stung. Um, by an array of different creatures you know whether it be mm-hmm. the the killer cow or the I mean there's a million your most your most popular video I was just watching was the cow killer I don't know if it's a killer yeah. cow, cow killer um, <laughs> and you've done the murder hornet you've done a bunch of different things what would you say has been the craziest thing that you've ever been stung by as far as the most painful
1: um, well, the executioner wasp definitely is the the number one on the list at this point, according to me. You have to remember, like you know, somebody could probably go out and recreate their own sting index if they're crazy enough to get to some of these places that I've been and be stung by these things. But it all originated with a guy named Justin Schmidt. Uh, he's an entomologist that's based out of Arizona. So I was following his roadmap of the things that he had been stung by. And he had ranked the bullet ant as the most painful sting in the world. I kind of went beyond that and was stung by the, the giant hornet and the execution wasp or two things that he was actually not stung by. Um, and I sort of rearranged my version of the sting index a little bit to break apart ants from wasps. Because when you think about a wasp or a hornet, like if you were to stumble into a bullet ant nest and you got, took a handful of stings, Like ants can't chase you that far, right? But if you mess up and run into a nest of giant hornets or executioner wasps with wings, they can pursue you for quite some distance. So um, there are some more potent um consistencies to the venoms that come out of the giant hornet and the executioner wasp as well. So The top ranking for me is the Executioner Wasp. And just below that is the Giant Hornet, um, which, of course, now is socially known as the Murder Hornet based on all the craziness that broke out last year in the Pacific Northwest, which was pretty crazy for us because when we launched that Japanese Giant Hornet video originally, it did exceptionally well. I mean, I would consider it a viral hit. But then it had like this second viral wave that happened last spring, where I think it like doubled its number of views. in like a month and a half which was kind of crazy i mean as you know you have no indicator as to what's going to be a viral video i think unless you're mr beast these days so (laughs) it's (laughs) always awesome when one hits
0: so i know there's a sting index so you go into this and you see the ranking of what you're about to get stung by on the sting index is there would you say the sting index is accurate or would you say that now that you've been stung by just about everything on that list, would you reorder it completely differently? Were you surprised by anything? Did anything hurt more than expected or less than expected?
1: Um, You know, when I first started doing the stings, I would say my anxiety was definitely higher as I was going into taking the sting. Um, As I went on and progressed up that ranking system, Um, I think maybe mentally, I just became a little bit more comfortable with what I was going through. Um, I wouldn't necessarily rearrange it when it came to the different levels of pain. I think that was all pretty accurate. But the thing to also note is that pain is subjective, right? Like it's it's on you to determine what's going to actually be painful. Now, when you break down the science of it, and you talk about the components that make up the venom, certain venoms do certain things uh, and it's different based on whether or not it's a bite or a sting, right? So that's one thing people oftentimes get confused with. They'll come up to me, they, if I get recognized in public, like, dude, you're that guy that got bit by the bullet ant. I'm like, well, technically I got stung by the bullet ant and here's the <laughs> difference. So when something stings you, it's a defensive maneuver to like give itself time to get away if something's biting and it's using venom, it's using that venom to kill its prey item. So it's going to be much more detrimental effects. So anytime you're bitten by something that's venomous, it's way worse than a sting. But it's also fair to say that with stings, you never know how your body's going to react. I mean, a single honeybee sting can send a human body into anaphylactic shock if you're allergic to that venom or a certain component of that venom. So, you know, a single bee sting can be just as potentially tragic as, you know, a hundred executioner wasp stings, you just, it's all based on your body. So to more directly answer your question, I think I ranked it accurately, but I think I gained more confidence in how we were filming the videos. And then, I mean, almost like an athlete going out to play a sports game, right? If you're Michael Jordan and you go out there to play a game, and I'm by no means comparing myself to Michael Jordan playing (laughs) basketball in the realm of getting stung by insects. But As you start doing stuff that you know it's going to be a success, you have a confidence that you come into it with. Like when I produced the first few Sting episodes, like we had no idea they'd be successful. And then it's like, you can start kind of calling your shot to be like, I know the audience is going to like this. So you're amped up internally because you're like, dude, I'm, I'm making this for the audience. I'm going to educate them. I'm going to entertain them. And you're more confident just knowing that it's going to do good.
0: Awesome, man. Yeah, I can only imagine in the beginning. I mean, I'm sure every time you have a certain level of anxiety. um, But it kills me like when you got it, the you know, whatever you're about to get stung by and you got the cup on your arm, and it's just walking around in there. And you're just waiting it waiting for it to sting you like your anxiety has got to be through the roof during those moments.
1: Yeah. I mean, it it is, but you know, for me too, a a big aspect of it too, because obviously there's always movie magic, right? And you know this for any time you produce a video stuff happens in the field that you didn't anticipate happening, whether for good or bad. And once you, you know, one of my favorite parts of the process is getting that story into post production and building up that anxiety, right? Like um, I grew up on Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and studying specifically Steven Spielberg's ability to really put you on the edge of your seat. So with the sting episode specifically, like we had so much fun figuring out the pacing for the editing, what's going to be the right music. How do you keep that viewer like right there waiting in anticipation for, is he going to get stung? Is he not going to get stung? And I mentioned that because we um, we just produced an episode in Costa Rica. Um, I haven't done as much sting or bite content lately because Honestly, like you reach a a pinnacle, right? Right, I mean, you can only do so much before you as a creator get a little bored with it. And the audience is like, okay, cool. This guy's got one trick and that's kind of it. But we just came up with this thing that we're experimenting with. You're gonna think this is probably pretty hilarious. We created something called the spider helmet. This episode comes out next month. We built this plastic container. Looks like a clear plastic thing that you would like put an autographed basketball inside of that Michael Jordan had signed to keep on your shelf. But we made it so it fits on my head and I wear like the shoulder thing. And inside it, we added 20 giant golden orb weaver spiders. Now we're not talking like your little backyard house spider. We're talking about something the size (laughs) of a human hand. 20 of them with nothing other than my head, you know, cowboy hat off, head in the box, what's gonna happen? I won't tell you what happens, but we're trying to experiment with this helmet concept to see, all right, if that's a hit for the audience, what other animals can we put inside of the helmet to see what will happen? I
0: (laughs) love that idea. And it's clear you can see everything that's going on inside. That's genius. That's genius. It's
1: intense. It's intense. I mean, look, I could sit here and talk to you for 20 minutes on the information about these spiders. And we always find a way to work in some clever facts, but with these episodes, we're trying to really give that fast-paced YouTube meets TikTok feel to these episodes yeah. specifically. To be like, I know why you showed yep. up, right? You, you, you cl- can you take that, that Let's let's give you exactly what it is you showed up for. Make that as intense as we possibly can for the eight to ten minutes that we're trying to hold you, so that we can make this YouTube video worth it um, and really give you a, a good piece of, of entertaining content so wow,
0: that, the first awesome.
1: helmet episode comes out next month
0: I'm excited to see it um, yeah whenever I talk to you and especially like you know back in New York when we would you know hang out in the hotel room playing dice you'd always be you know I'd always be very impressed with how business savvy you are so where would you say that you've picked up on a lot of your the stuff that people don't see, the stuff that goes on behind the scenes, the where would you say you, you've learned that side of the business? Because I've always been super impressed with the way that you run things.
1: Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, you know, my background really comes uh, I have an education in, in film production. I, I created my okay. own major at the Ohio State University in screenwriting, producing and directing. So I wow, always I wanted that. to be that guy behind the camera and not necessarily in front of it. The getting in front of it was kind of the means to an end to be like, oh, well, I also know about animals and I can somehow pull off these scenarios where I catch animals. Really tough to like cast somebody in that role. And believe it or not, I did try to do it for the first year and a half of developing this whole animal adventure show concept. It just, it didn't work out because I, I could find people that were great about talking about animals, but I was always off camera catching them and like ushering them in and be like, okay, here's how you hold it. Here's what you need to say. And like, That's as we good. were looking at footage, we're like, dude, you can you just get in front of the camera and do this for them? Because you're pretty much already doing it right. as the director and producer. So, I ha- yeah. It's
0: weird you say that because it's almost the exact same story for Big Daz TV. How I, want- I wanted to do the same thing, be behind the camera. I had my friends doing it and finally got fed up to the point where like, you're not doing it how I want it to be done. I'm just going to hop in there and do it. And it worked. Exactly.
1: That That's kind of how it goes. So, so let's come back to that. But first, I'll answer the business question. I learned all of this from having this really rich background in trying to get independent films off the ground. Um, wow. For a number of years in college and right out of college, I, I had written some screenplays. And long story short, I've got an awesome, very long-winded that I won't spill out here to you, uh, but maybe sometime we'll do it over drinks. So really great long-winded classic Hollywood story of the kid from Ohio who almost got a $5 million independent film deal that fell apart last minute in the contractual stages. And it was heartbreaking. I mean, I was like 25 years old. Like I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm running parallel to Steven Spielberg when he was directing jaws, like this is going to be my break. And when it didn't happen, Um, I was was devastated, and I just kind of found myself in the right place at the right time to have this opportunity to develop an animal adventure show, and it was my knowledge of how the entertainment industry worked, but more specifically, how to put together a story from script to shooting to post-production, because you know, that's what most people don't realize. Anybody that's a YouTube content creator or a feature filmmaker or a Netflix series producer, the magic happens in the field, but the true miracle comes together in post. That's where the audience doesn't usually give enough credit for those editors bringing it all together, because when you're in the field... It's a complete crapshoot with how it is all happening. So right. yeah, that's a, a real quick way of me basically saying I learned how to do a lot of it, me and my business partner, Mark, um, from knowing the backgrounds of the entertainment industry.
0: That's super interesting, man. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. How, how, how's Mark doing, by the way?
1: He's good, man. He's uh, he's actually in Massachusetts right now. So we're, we're really trying to expand the Brave Wilderness universe. So he's been producing some content on his own where we've been working on getting the YouTube audience kind of inoculated to the idea. Very similar, actually kind of really inspired by what, what you were doing with bringing new characters into the fold, right? You've got to have your audience start to recognize other people so you can build the brand, right? Somebody like you and I, who are in front of the camera and doing a lot of the business stuff behind the scenes, you can only shoulder... So much of the pressure and responsibility before, like, you have to start delegating content production opportunities to other people. Um, so, Mark is starting to do some of that. What you'll probably see with Brave Wilderness, um, actually, coming out this month, we just executive produced a series that was shot in South Africa that I'm not even a piece of. Like I literally got to play the wow. Steven Spielberg role of executive producing, giving notes on episodes, completely new show hosts, completely different concept than anything we've ever had on Brave Wilderness. It's still animal oriented, but it's not me. It's not Mark, it's, it's nobody from my team. So expanding the universe and trying to figure out how do we evolve in the growing world of YouTube? Because it's exciting that YouTube is still here but as you and I know, when we met several years ago, I'm starting to feel like one of the old dudes on YouTube at yep. this point, you know, and I guess <laughs> technically I kind of am. Um, it's awesome to have legacy that's gone. Feels crazy to say, oh, you're an old guy on YouTube when your channel is only six years old, but right, things right. come and go nowadays, like, like crazy, you know, no? yeah,
0: most people aren't here to stay. And it's, it's often right. back to what you were saying about bringing new characters onto the show. I think it's awesome that you're able to do that. And I think it's nice that your channel is Brave Wilderness as a, as opposed to Coyote Peterson. You have that brand name. Uh, you know, for me, like with Big Doss TV, I can't just bring on you know, big Sean, because it's big DOS TV. So, or, you know, little Joe or whoever it may be, I can't do that, which is why I created the daily dropout. But it's cool that you're doing that on your channel. How have your, uh, your fans responded to having somebody on the channel that's not you? Has there been a negative reaction at all? Because what I've experienced is usually at first, at least when I've done it, there's a little bit of a pushback and then, you know, they'll develop that love for the character. Has there been any of that?
1: Um, You know, well, speaking with with Mark specifically, you know, we've really strategically worked him in and I think the audience has accepted it incredibly well. I mean, we've got a really, really positive um, audience base, you know, a lot of younger generation kids that are super into animals. Obviously, we have a demographic that's the high school to, you know, teenager college kids that love the extreme bite and sting stuff. We've got an older generation that just appreciates good quality production and education and conservation work that's coming out of the content. So um, it's been overall very positive. I don't know how the audience is going to react to the new series that we have coming out. And that'll be a a wonderful experiment. It's a a true litmus test because they at least recognize Mark as being sort of a background character in some of the other episodes. So it wasn't completely like hey, here's a random person out of left field coming onto the channel, which will be the case with this new series we have coming out, which is called Ranger Exchange. But the message that's coming out of these episodes for this new series is so wholesome and so conservation oriented. I can see some audience members being like, well, this is not what I signed up to the channel for, but for anybody that loves animals and that educational slash conservation message, there's a lot to like. So, for us, it's a good test, and um, we plan to learn quite a bit from the process. I mean, I certainly have thus far executive producing it.
0: Awesome, man. I'm excited to see that. One thing that I've always noticed over the conversations that we've had in the past is you always seem to bring up algorithms. And mm-hmm. for those of you who don't know, I mean, algorithms, I mean, that's the do or die, the make or break of creating a YouTube channel. So what's some advice you would give to creators who are trying to get their videos seen. Um, and in other, in other words, get their videos into the algorithm to where they're starting to rack up views and subscribers.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, okay. Let me try to come up with an interesting analogy for how these algorithms exist. Uh, if you like fishing, right. Uh, whether you like it or you've just gone out there and tried it, or you don't have the patience, the algorithm game is a patience game. And if you can cast your line, your videos out there into the ocean or the lake that is filled with fish that are audience, and you can land one, you get one on your reel, you got to just keep reeling it, right? Like you can capture an algorithm for a moment in time, and I, I caught it at one point in time, you caught it at one point in time, I'll be the first to admit that I don't have it right now, like the, our, our channel is still doing exceptionally well, but not to the tune where every time I put out a video, it was skyrocketing to 5 million views in just, a, you know, a matter of weeks, like right. Mr. Beast, he's got the algorithm right now, he's, he's figured out whatever it is that works for his type of content, so to answer your question and for anybody out there that's watching you have to appreciate grasping an algorithm when you have it take advantage when you can try to feed it as best as you can and what i mean is continue to produce the content that your audience is striving and building on it's much tougher today to build a youtube audience than it was when we launched our channel, or Big Dawes, when you launch your channel, because a lot's changed. And I'm not going to point any fingers at any specific YouTubers that have caused disheaval in the, the realm of how ad dollars work or the limitations that YouTube has to put on videos to reach a certain audience. But it's no longer the Wild West like it used to be. So it doesn't mean you can't go out there and create a channel that's got gazillions of subscribers and Billions and billions of views. I mean, you know, Mr. Beast is a true testament to that. But what you don't realize about Mr. Beast is that I think his channel launched in like 2012. He, uh, he was working for quite some time before he found the right formula that worked. Now, for Brave Wilderness, the thing that caused us to go so viral for the, the years that we were at our, our true pinnacle um, was the bite and sting content. But here's the thing. I can't make a bite and sting episode once a week the way that Mr. Beast can go out and say, well, today I'm going to give away these cars or if you can fit it into this circle, I'll, I'll, buy, I'll buy it. You know what I mean? There's seems to be an endless loophole that Mr. Beast has figured out at this point. And by all means, I hope that goes on for him forever. But the same way as you know, Big Dawes. Eventually the audience is like, okay, cool. I get it. We're gonna check out what's over here now. And that's where the new creators that are coming in are getting that opportunity to build something new. And that's what's fun about YouTube is that the space is constantly evolving. And honestly, there's more and more competition that's starting to exist too. I mean, look at TikTok. I can't even totally wrap my head around TikTok at this point. And all we really do on TikTok for my account is re-edit and repurpose old footage that we have. I haven't even gotten around to making original TikTok content yet because I'm so engrossed in still making YouTube content. So it's a crazy world out there, but it can uh, it's certainly possible. And for anybody that's watching, you got to start. That's the first step. And you've got to stay consistent. As you know, Big Dawes, like the more you feed the machine, the more consistency you can prove to your audience, the better your channel has at chances of growing.
0: I, I agree with everything you said. First of all, I want to say the fishing analogy was great. I love that, um, and especially coming. From, I mean, you have freaking 18 million subscribers. Like that's so insane. Um, and yeah. I, I 1,000% agree with what you said about kind of just hitting the hitting it while it's hot. You know, you want to you want to take advantage of. You know, once you get that first big video, you know, for some people that might be a thousand views, for others, it might be 10 million views. But once you get to that point where you start to get that new traction, really taking advantage of pumping out more content and continuing to get into that algorithm, because once you get that, that one video, you know, you're kind of taking a, a step in the door. And if you don't take another step as soon as you can, you know, it's more likely that that door is going to close. So, you know, that's important. Yeah. I, I, one thousand percent agree with that. And then also, I'm doing, I'm doing the same thing with TikTok. I'm just having one of my guys chop up all of my videos and put. A, I've never made an original post on TikTok ever. I mean, I, th- I think I have like uh, like a million followers or something, and I've never even been on the app.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I literally just crossed a million followers on TikTok, uh, a, I, I think it just a day ago, like or maybe two days ago, which I'm like, holy cow, this is amazing. But the TikTok followings nowadays, as compared to YouTube, are so astronomically yeah. different. And when <laughs> I was getting started in the YouTube space, and by no means, do to, 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 I mean to sound in any way whatsoever, ungrateful for the amazing audience that we've built in the YouTube space. But when I look at the TikTok space, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a mountain of work to try to be like, all right, well, what am I going to do? Try to build a 20 million subscriber base on TikTok and make a bunch of original content here too? Not to say that it's impossible, but we put so much time and effort into the type of content we create on YouTube I haven't figured out that solution yet for how do I give you that same sort of production value and quality when it comes to the education or the conservation or just basic storyline for TikTok that I can give you for YouTube. And that's why at least, and again, I'm not trying to put the cart before the horse, but when I look at TikTok, I'm like, I don't know how much mental capacity I'll ever fully invest into that because I can't tell the story that i want to really tell
0: i was gonna say i think for the kind of content that we do it's almost you almost just have to chop up little bits and pieces and post it there's almost no way to create re- original content for tiktok you know it's almost i, mean, I unless you want to spend you know a, a full day or a full week creating something but what's the reward um you know tiktok i mean it's I don't know if you're monetized on there. I set mine up and I think I've made like 20 bucks or whatever. Like there's not a lot of mm-hmm. money in it. I mean it's great exposure, don't get me wrong, but I just I don't see the long-term future with TikTok other than, you know, generating fans and bringing them back over to YouTube. Which one question that I have is, do you think TikTok has been a major distraction for YouTube? I feel personally and don't get me wrong. I I've taken a, a break and just recently got back into uploading. So my views aren't even close to where they used to be. And I'm slowly building that back up. But over the past, you know, year or two, I feel like YouTube hasn't been where it was before. I, I personally feel that there's a lot of people on TikTok. um, As opposed to youtube and has taken away a lot of the viewership would you agree
1: yeah you know and i think there's a couple of things that we can attest to those shifts happening and you know i I thought about you a lot during the course of this past year with covid specifically um we ended up being very fortunate throughout the whole pandemic which obviously is still happening but restrictions are, are are lessening in places vaccines are rolling out so people are getting a little more comfortable with how they're going about producing content but You know, for us, we are producing content in areas where we're going out to nature and we're interacting with animals with a very small team. It's not like what, what you do or a number of people that do the, I mean, people like David Dobrik or Casey Neistat or even people like Mr. Beast who have to go out and interact with people to make the content on their channel because you are physically interacting, specifically in your case, with strangers to get them to participate in moments that you're capturing on hidden camera like the the detriment of your production time that you put in this past year was probably massive so um, I'm sure that has a big effect on a lot of people producing YouTube. Um, I'd be interested to, to hear from your side, how, how did that affect you this past year? Yeah,
0: I mean, it was, it was really rough, uh, to be completely honest. Luckily, we had you know, a decent amount of stuff saved up, but that only got us, you know, this thing really started hitting, what, it was late February, early March. You know, we yeah, got, we right got, now. Yeah, we got through the first month and a half or so, you know, fine. We had plenty of content that was saved up. Um, I wasn't really filming much at the time. So, you know, I wasn't too worried about it for my personal channel. I was more focused on the daily dropout at the time. And, you know, after we ran out of content, we had, you know, four or five, I want to say five full-time employees kind of just sitting there like, okay, what do we do now? So, uh, luckily I had just bought our office at that time. We purchased a, a house that we all planned on working out of. And so, For quarantine, I moved all of my employees into the house and we kind of tried creating different kinds of content, you know. It was it was good in a sense that we it kind of opened the door for us to create different kinds of content, whether that be skits or challenges or, you know, pranks that didn't require us going out into public necessarily, more so, you know, whether it be ordering pizza and, and pranking the the pizza guy from you know, a distance with the mask, whatever. Um, but like you were saying, you can only do so much of that. It really imposed a lot of limitations. So we kind of restructured our business and changed things um, up a little bit which once again, I feel like in a way was a good thing. I'm a I'm kind of guy where I'm, I'm optimistic. I like to look at the positive in, th- in things as, a, as opposed to the negatives. So I do think there were a lot of good things that happened, but yeah, it definitely affected how we how we work and um, we weren't able to do nearly as much content. But also it, it kind of gave us a much needed break. Um, it's a lot going out into the public interacting with people for years and years and years and it kind of you know allowed us to kind of sit back come up with a new game plan moving forward and i think in the fall we kind of started to travel again a little bit to places that were more open like florida um, alabama vegas and uh, most colleges are shut down so we've kind of been hopping back and forth between vegas miami and um yeah that's pretty much it but we we've we've made things work and it made me realize that we can get through this we can get through anything so i'm really really proud of how everybody handled it and it seems like what, you know, kind of like what you said, things are starting to open back up more. And it's starting to feel like things are going back to normal, just a little bit more day by day, which I'm, I'm stoked about.
1: So in the way that I feel a lot of that pertains to TikTok, so to bring that element of it in, TikTok, in many instances, seems to be more singularly created videos, right? People are building these TikToks out themselves from their phones. So I think with with, uh, the pandemic and people being in a level of quarantine, you opened up this new way for people to use their phones as the recording device to start uploading content and create their own followings. Now, I don't know that that's a positive or a negative by, by any means, but when it comes down to the business side of things, not to say that anything's ever all about the money, but when you have employees like you do or like Brave Wilderness does to invest a lot of production time into creating TikTok videos where it's a platform that, yes, some people are making some pretty good money on it. We're not in that position at this point, right? And We're probably not going to invest a big amount of production expense into creating things originally for TikTok when our bread and butter exists in YouTube and in Facebook videos and now Instagram TV or all the other ancillary offshoots that come from our brand like merchandising and and uh, we've got you know literary partnerships and all that stuff. So TikTok, for as popular as it is and as easy it is, as it is to grow a, a following very quickly, we kind of look at it and we're like, we're just not ready to put in that much of a commitment there yet. But what I think is great about it is It's giving younger creators the opportunity to come in and make their mark. And somehow maybe they'll transition to YouTube or what's going to come after TikTok? Is there going to ever be something that comes out that competes with YouTube for where you consume your longer form, short form content? You know, I know Quibi made a run at what that was, but that didn't work out. So um, I don't know. Will there be something next after YouTube? Couldn't tell you, but at this point, I'm certainly grateful that YouTube continues to be the locomotive that it is in the the video content uh, consumption space. Because more people are watching YouTube than I think anything else on the planet right now. Because I don't consider TikTok as watching something; it's right. filler space. You're scrolling through stuff and randomly catching a moment. You know.
0: Yep, and I think the reason, part of the reason why TikTok is so big, is the attention span of people today is so short that TikTok fulfills that and it's almost like an adrenaline rush every video that pops up it's like opening a box of sports cards every card you pull it's like oh what is this going to be what is that going to be and different ones excite you more than others so you know will there be something that replaces TikTok YouTube like you said who knows um but i think that as long as we have a place to put our content Uh, I think fans are going to find us. So one, one question that I had for you was you were on hot ones. Mm -hmm. What was that experience like compared to say, getting stung by something, you know, eating the hot wings pain level compared to, you know, maybe one of your average sting videos. Was it not even close?
1: Great question. So first of all, it's such a cool honor to be on that show and Um, you know, I I became pretty good friends with Sean after that. And, you know, Sean, you've hung out with him a couple of times at the the VidCon stuff and whatnot. Um, He's such a great host, man. Like, I just, I know that he's just going to continue on to be like one of these iconic hosts of our generation um, but in preparing for that i'm not really a hot foods kind of guy so i actually prepared by going to this place called quaker steak and lube um, that they have i, I think there's kind of like a midwest brand i'm not sure but they have a, you can go there and sign this waiver and they give you what are called atomic wings like you literally have to like sign a release form to say that you're going to wow. eat these. and i i got six of them i ate two of them right I mean, they were insanely hot and terrible going in, even worse coming out the next day. Oh, that's always um, the worst part. Always the worst part. And that's where I'm going with the hot ones thing. Um, When you're in the spotlight like that, you're on camera, you're getting interviewed, you want to be giving your best performance. I don't think you're thinking so much about how hot it is. But after the fact, I was like borderline delirious from the heat and the experience for the past two days afterwards really the two, days, two after, days oh my gosh two <laughs> days of just man my butt did not forgive me for that one that's no. the worst uh,
0: that's way worse than eating it <laughs> i'm a, I'm a yeah. big hot guy i love spicy food when, when that happens there's there's nothing worse
1: yeah it was it was a pretty traumatic experience after the after after the fact but going through the process was awesome and I can't tell you if, if people don't recognize me for getting bitten or stung by things, they're like, dude, I saw you on that show. Hot ones. I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that just goes to show you how many people watch hot ones, which is pretty awesome.
0: Dude, they have some crazy guests on there. Like they really pull yeah. a lot of big names.
1: Yes, they, they do, impressive. man. Like the, the name, I, I think it's cool. Like it's, it's for the YouTube space. I would say that hot ones is unquestionably the biggest celebrity oriented spotlight show that's ever been created and I know Sean for the you know past however many episodes they've been doing it you know distanced like this which you know they're getting by but man I, I can't wait to see when they when people are comfortable getting back in a room together to eat wings and, and where they're gonna take it from here so it's pretty cool
0: I agree man um, I saw your trailer uh, your you you have your trailer on your channel it's about the documentary with wolves that was super cool um, <laughs> And it seemed like, you know, you're really trying to educate people on the nature of wolves and, um, you know, the history. So what, what what's something that you would uh, tell people that are listening about wolves? Like, do you think they're dangerous? Should you be afraid of wolves? What, what should you do if you encounter one? Like, uh, give me the rundown.
1: Yeah, so last year, about about a year ago, this time, um, we uh, a little bit bit earlier, uh, it was right before the pandemic hit, we got the chance to go out and work with a wolf sanctuary in Colorado called the Colorado Wolf and Wildlife Center. Um, We went out there partially because we'd never gotten to do a a true episode on wolves before, um, but also partially, in fact, that in Colorado specifically, there was a bill that was going to be up for voting that November that would effectively, if voted yes on, would introduce wolves back into Colorado in certain protected areas, which they're such a huge important part of the ecosystem. But they're one of those animals that has such a misunderstood past and they've been so wrongly vilified for so many years. So whether that's because of, because of culture or how they're depicted in movies or you know, just hearsay from you know, people saying, Oh my people have been attacked by wolves, like people are not getting attacked by wolves. Now, let alone ever, there are like two or maybe three documented cases of humans ever getting attacked and killed by wolves. And in, in most of these instances, it came from people trying to actually feed wild wolves and then finding themselves a part of a wolf feeding, forest, I guess, <laughs> you know. Um, but look, wolves are not something you need to be afraid of. If you were to ever see a wolf in the wild, You consider yourself lucky. They're such skittish animals. Like if a wolf sees you, it's going to immediately think, uh oh, that's a human. I better go in the opposite direction. Now, is it impossible to think that if you were flying in a small airplane and it crashed up into the mountains somewhere and you were the only one that survived, and you were out by yourself hiking for days, and eventually came upon a pack of wolves, and the wolves were like, Well, we're hungry. We might eat this person. Could that happen? Sure. But you have just, you've got a better chance of slipping and falling off a cliff and dying in that scenario than you do being eaten by wolves. So, um, wolves are not aggressive toward humans. If you ever see one, consider yourself lucky. And if a wolf ever starts approaching you, you make yourself look big and crazy and start screaming at it. Dude, that wolf is going to be like, Whoa, this person's crazy. I'm not messing with them. And they'll take (laughs) off on it in the other direction every time guarantee it.
0: You've been stung by a lot of things. Um, have you ever had any weird or strange side effects after being stung or bitten?
1: Um, so the worst bite I ever took, and this was an unintentional bite, uh, came from something called a Gila monster, which is the only venomous lizard in the United States. It was an accidental bite. Yeah, yeah, you you know, um, in, in excruciating, insanely painful, the kind of pain where there was actually a point where I was like, it might be better to cut off my arm before the venom gets any further because I was afraid if like this kind of pain going up my arm ends up in my chest, like it could send me into cardiac arrest, right? Realistically, that's probably not going to happen, but your mind's going through that when you're in that much pain. Getting to the side effects point, the next day, strangely enough, I had like massive diarrhea, like uncontrollable, like my body, like just expunging whatever my body's fight was against that venom whether it was sending liquids to that area to disperse the venom however was it my body was fighting I had like it's not kind of gross but I had like <laughs> massive diarrhea for like hours the next day like I had like food poisoning but I, I didn't it was from the Gila monster bite so I've actually never shared that story with anybody but
0: I love that how happened. did that happen like how did you like come across the Gila monster and get bitten ah
1: well it's kind of an embarrassing how did i get bitten um we came upon a heel monster i filmed with them several times before no reason to get like a full-on episode and um we were like oh well dude it's just like it was out like basking in the sun and they're not real fast they don't run off where so, was right? this at uh tucson arizona okay. and uh at the time i was like we had just gotten i think it was like the gopro hero it was like the gopro 4 it was still a version of the GoPro that was inside of a plastic case, whichever one that was. So quite a few yeah. iterations back. And um, I took the GoPro and I was kind of like holding it like this. Actually, I, for some reason, I had it like this. I was trying to real carefully get it in. And I was like doing this panning shot. Lizard was totally calm. And dude, they can, they can snap into action so fast. It reared its head around, knocked the camera from my hand and bit the side of my thumb. So my... Thumb was in the side of its mouth, like ah, 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 like oh, that, no. for less than a second. Like it got me, and I, like the motion of me pulling away as it biting me was ripping my finger out of the mouth as it was biting me. But their teeth are razor sharp, razor sharp teeth. So I put all these slices in me, and just that amount of contact with its teeth and saliva, because the venom is not injected from the teeth like the fangs of a snake. It comes out of glands in the lower part of the jaw that have to be worked up into the teeth. So even that amount of venom that got into me from that was the most excruciating pain I've ever felt. So the moral of the story is that, A, don't ever try to get close to a heel monster. Just admire it from several feet away and zoom in with your camera. Or if you're going to film anything with a GoPro, put it on one of those extendable poles so that the camera gets close and not your hand.
0: That's that's good advice. What are some of the other interactions that you've had with wild animals um other than the heel monster bite? Has there ever been anything else that's happened out in the wild that has been scary or that has almost ended badly?
1: I could I could lend I could lend four hours worth of time, but um <laughs> here, here's here's one. This is a good one. So I see that sign in your background there that says grizzly and I it's kinda of a little blurry, but is that a bear standing yeah. up on its hind legs on that sign? Yeah right there that grizzly sign yep so back to my favorite location that i've been to alaska uh my team and i were i mean we're not talking a populated area of alaska we're talking backcountry alaska uh off of a logging road way out in the middle of nowhere filming b-roll getting towards sunset my team and i are on the side of a river remember what i told you the rivers there are massive so all of that sound is Pretty deafening for the most part. So downriver, and with downriver comes downwind because it's grabbing all of the air and sucking it with it. We're walking upriver. And as we are, from around this curve comes a huge mother grizzly bear and her three cubs. Oh, and when I say cubs, I'm not talking first-year little, little baby cute and cuddlies. I'm talking probably the size of German Shepherds. Like we're talking four good-sized bears. I mean, the mother's huge. Oh, the grizzlies in Alaska are bigger than the grizzlies that are in the United States. And she's within a hundred yards and closing. And we're like, oh crap. Like this is that moment. Did you ever see the movie, The Revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that scenario where he gets attacked, the mother bear is the most dangerous thing you can encounter in nature because yep. she will do everything she can to protect her babies. They're all coming towards us. They can't smell us. They can't hear us. So we've got bear spray. And I'll get to bear spray in a minute as to how effective that is or isn't.
0: So so they don't they don't see you yet. You guys only see them.
1: We can only see them. And dude, nothing will make your heart race faster than when you are on an open river embankment. No trees, nothing. And you see four huge bears coming in your direction. So, and this isn't like, oh, cool. Maybe I'll jump into the water and swim off. We're talking like rip roaring water. It's going to kill you if you jump into this river, right? Wow. And she's coming towards us. We've got nowhere to go. And when she finally gets to within like about 75 yards, I would say, we're like, okay, we have to really let her know we're here. We start screaming yo bear, yo bear, hey, screaming at the top of our lungs. And at first it was one of the cubs that recognized us cause it stopped and it's looking. And then the mother's like, look around cause they don't have very great eyesight. Then finally she realizes who we are. She stands up on her back legs. And dude, when you see a bear get up on its back legs you you it's impossible to explain the feeling other than your heart like drops into your stomach
0: and they're like and what, you're 14 like, 15 feet tall when they do that
1: um no i mean she's probably she's probably pushing the eight foot mark seven and a half okay. eight feet i mean we're we're talking shaquille o'neal size but <laughs> easily easily probably 600 pounds 550 Jeez. to 600 right She was big. And like I said, the bears in Alaska are bigger than the bears in the United States. That's the other thing that people don't realize. The grizzlies in the U.S. are big. They're bigger in Alaska. It's just a slightly different subspecies. And this bear makes that crucial decision. Do I take my cubs and run or do I attack? And like there's that moment that you're standing there as a human and you're like, this could be it. I'm either going to have to try to fight a bear or take on an attack from not one, but maybe all these bears. She might be training her cubs on how to kill something that we found ourselves in. Thank God she drops to her feet, takes her cubs, runs in the opposite direction, and they're gone. They, They don't come back. But what we didn't realize at the time or didn't even think about was that man, what would have happened if she stowed the Cubs and came back to try to eliminate us as a threat? So it was probably one of the scariest situations I've I've ever been in.
0: Wow. And you guys had bear spray on you, you said?
1: We did. So here's the thing about bear spray. Now, they will always tell you in the backcountry to carry bear spray when you're in you know, Alaska. What's funny is that the people in Alaska that sell you bear spray they're selling you bear spray almost like you're a tourist, right? Because any locals in Alaska will be like, you guys don't have a gun. You need guns. Guns are what stop bears. We're like, well, you know, the bear spray. I imagine bear spray was like hornet spray. They would go like 20 yards. And like if a bear is coming, you'd be like, bam. And you could like direct it at its eyes, right? It would be a long stream of like toxic liquid. no. After this bear scenario, and once we had wrapped up in Alaska, we couldn't bring the bear spray back on an airplane. So we're like, dude, let's set one of these things off just to see what would happen. When you pull the pin and you disperse your bear spray, it's just this plume of like dust with chili pepper and whatever in it. It's like, you know, almost like police grade pepper spray, but a little stronger. What happens is that the bear runs through that, but that bear has to be close enough to you to go through it. Because if you disperse it too early, the wind will catch it and either blow it right back at you, maybe in the direction of the bear or just off to the side and then boom, the bear is going to hit you. So your only hope with the bear spray is that as the bear is getting really close, you can disperse it the bear's going to hit it the bear's still going to hit you but the bear's hopefully so disoriented and so messed up from having this in its eyes and its nose that like you can get yourself away from the situation honest to goodness now there could be other brands of bear spray that do something different this is just going off of the two canisters that we had that we set off because the first one we were like we set it off it goes drifted away and it also got in our eyes and nose a little bit we're all coughing very mildly and we're like wait that was it maybe this one's like expired or broken did it again same thing no joke wow
0: that's good to know that's really really good to know yes um so what are your plans for the future
1: um man a little bit of everything right now we've got um uh a cartoon project in development i really want to kind of get into the animated world for our youngest aspect of our audience demographic. Um, Obviously continuing to produce the YouTube content as it exists, um, and also looking to possibly do some larger documentary projects down the road. You know, I'd I'd love to do um, another bigger type thing for a netflix or a disney plus or a a hulu um i did a really big series for animal planet that came out last year was a huge undertaking uh the biggest production we've ever had was 18 episodes for animal planet so that was like my tv show that i did um and it was a lot it's a lot of work and the thing that we ultimately realized with that process is that people aren't watching television anymore they're 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 absorbing their content on streaming, and in the digital space. So for anybody that wants to check out Brave the Wild, which was our TV show, uh, I could tell you to go try to find it on cable, but good luck. (laughs) Don't know where that's going to be at. But Discovery Plus just launched, so the show's on there. If you sign up for Discovery Plus, you could see all the episodes, I think, without commercial interruption. That's the other thing. Conventional television has commercials, and nobody's got time for that anymore.
0: You know, they'd rather...
1: They'd rather spend an hour on TikTok than they would waiting through a show that's got commercials, to be honest with you. Yep. Yep. So I'd say the number one spot to stay in tune with what I'm doing is definitely in the YouTube space because we got some some big ideas for 20, uh, 2021.
0: All right, man. Well, where can people find you?
1: Uh, you can search at Coyote Peterson or at Brave Wilderness on pretty much any social media platform or just type it into Google and you're guaranteed to find a rabbit holes worth of animal adventure content that is certain to be wildly entertaining
0: awesome man coyote thank you so much for coming on man great talking with you it's, a, it's always a pleasure
1: it was awesome man well as soon as i get out to arizona we can make it a line we'll have to do an in-studio hangout, oh. and uh maybe we'll get a game of dice going while we're yeah in there
0: that'd be awesome man let's do it all right awesome. signing off see you later man
1: see you later buddy